So I'm going to talk about timelines, like has been said, the timelines that we're living in today, and most importantly, how we have a direct influence on them through our thoughts and our actions and our beliefs. And what I'm talking about is kind of a small taste of something that um, Alan was alluding to, a story that I ended up calling a tale of two timelines, which was a, a webinar that goes deep into the story of Project Looking Glass and covers some of the topics that I'll be going into today in maybe a little bit more detail than we have time for today. Um, so, you know, I find some of the stuff, the direction that I'm going into tonight a little bit unusual or surprising, and I hope it causes a little bit of cognitive dissonance because we're going to be looking at some history, because history has a lot to do with the way timelines are shaped. Um, and the actual looking glass device that I'm talking to about has, um, this is what it looks like. I thought I'd give you a, a quick view of it uh, before we go deep into it. And I have actually the honor tonight of having Dr. J.J. Hurtock in the audience, who is uh, somebody, this is a secret space technology, you could say it's secret government technology. And um, Dr. Hurtock is personally familiar with that information. I had the opportunity also to work with Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher, very close to our speaker, Frank, and myself, and my wife, Dr. Desiree, we put together a book called Mind Dynamics in Space and Time, which is the real exile story from Stanford Research Institute. Elizabeth wrote over 450 scientific papers and would have received the Nobel Prize had she lived long enough. The bottom line is I knew back in the 1980s in areas of parapsychology and parapsychology, there was, shall we say, the possibility of going forwards and backwards of time through mind projection. And I heard the story, although I never saw this in print, and so what I'm saying is really secondary, but I heard this from top scientists in the upper 1% of Silicon Valley, that there were individuals who were able to go back time and look at historic events. And these individuals were blessed through contact experience, what we will now call the ETs or extraterrestrials. And this, in a way, gives me a sense of the importance of what Frank is going to present at this time. This is a worldwide recognition that there are top American scientists who know about timeline conversion, other evolutionary intelligence being able to interconnect with us, not only at this point of human history, but give us the insight through technology they have to look back in time. And what impressed me from the Air Force officer who talked to me was they had a device, i.e. the ET, sharing with the Americans to look back in time and they could actually see the crucifixion of Christ. They actually saw this event and moving forwards. My work on the Shroud of Turin with NASA scientists at your propulsion lab and things that I can share with you privately regarding the experience of the historic Christ makes me feel with great wonder and humility that there were those who came from the future here to show us that we're all on the cross of space and time and that our purpose of evolution through spiritual endowments is to take our consciousness off the cross into the future. This is the time of graduation. 
out of the different timelines that have been confused. Thank you. Thank you, JJ. Okay, we're done. <laughs> no, um, no, that's an excellent little introduction. And I think I can cover a lot of that, or back it up, let's say. With respect to this particular time viewing device, um, it works in conjunction with not only a mechanical process, but in, in a proximity of something called stargates, which are both artificial and natural. Uh, they're all around the world. And um, this device was used essentially to identify in the time stream that was projected within sort of a plasma ball in, in 3D holographic fashion, key events, um, people and places that impact important historical timelines. And then the people who were working with the technology began to mess with these timelines and, you know, approaching people or um, trying to manipulate events. Um, and then that caused paradoxes to unfold. Some of you might know me because of a story I broke last March concerning something called the Guardians of the Looking Glass. And that's really what um, led me to actually being here today and to actually even going into this topic because it was Tanya who introduced me to the Looking Glass technology at the very beginning when we started working on our film Packing for Mars and, and even the Chronovisor. Um, but I never thought I would, you know, it didn't relate to Mars or the film Mars. And I never would have thought that, you know, 10 years later, uh, I would happen to just by total pure accident stumble on this story. And I wrote, that, uh, I wrote up that story, and it went viral, and uh, here I am. So anyway, back to the looking glass. Basically, what we had here is a technology that was built, which would give those people who operated that technology, of course, a huge advantage over people who didn't have the technology, because they could see and view timelines within a stream, within a field um, of this object that was placed at this, one of these portal points, one of these energy vortex points on the planet. And, um, you know, the awareness of this technology came to us through, a cer through def a certain whistleblowers starting about, I was it 10, 10, 11, or actually maybe 15 years ago, you could say. And one of them was a guy by the name of Dan Burish, um, who went into some detail about how that technology was acquired. And essentially, it starts at the end of the Second World War, so starting in the late 1940s. Um, it was the first time that the United States ever came into contact with certain... ETs, you could say, who began appearing over the skies of the United States. And their appearance, again, was accompanied by crashes and captures of both the craft and the pilots piloting that craft. And it leads directly to the formation of what Richard Dolan calls the breakaway civilization, which is arguably um, that which was created by one ultra-secret ultra society, that was called Majestic 12. You know, it's they who have ultimately come into possession of the looking glass material and time travel and other technologies ever since. And in 1963, afterward, they formed another group, an umbrella group called the Committee of the Majority. And they, you know, did this because they spread to an, on an international level because they also heard that the Russians were in touch with these ETs as well. And they were trying to keep it contained and, and form treaties with these, uh, with these beings. Um, and thus came about that other um, umbrella organization. 
But the reason that this document is so valuable is because it's been authenticated by forensics experts. So it makes it one of those foundational documents or sources that we know and we can trace. And I thought it was interesting because I didn't really pay much attention. I actually had a copy of it in my archives, and I only rediscovered it after I started working on the webinar for A Tale of Two Timelines. Um, and I remember Richard Dolan telling us a story about how he'd been briefed by a CIA insider who was present in 1977 when President Jimmy Carter was briefed about the existence of these craft and these pilots. Um, and he talks an interesting story about how Carter was sitting there sobbing with his hand, head in his hands. Um, but here it was, that document came full circle, and I was suddenly working with it relative to the looking glass information. So it's interesting how things so come full circle. So between 1947 and the early 50s, there were a series of crashes that took place, not just one, um, and they started the whole back engineering process. Um, and in the end, they had up to seven, I believe, UFOs, um, and they also had captured extraterrestrial beings. And they ended up being put into an area called Area 51, which we all know. And the Looking Glass has ended up in that as well, in, area, in S4 Area 51. Uh, and was all classified under the strictest levels of secrecy, of course, until they figured out who they were dealing with. Um, and what they really discovered, in principle, is that the ETs are not really truly ETs. Technically speaking, they're us. And it was us from the future. The captured aliens that they had found, they called them J-Rods, came from Zeta Reticuli, which is what we are going to colonize in the future. That's their past. And they traveled back 52,000 and 45,000 years respectively to exactly before this time, before this event takes place, for different reasons. Um, and... It's interesting because looking at Chernobyl's timelines again, you can see that in 1949 is another event in the timeline that takes place. So it's interesting how that all coincides. One of the things that I always try to look for is, you know, when you only have one source of information, it might be interesting, but it's much more interesting if there's another backup source that verifies it, and even better if there's a third source that will confirm that there was something happening around this time to change the timelines. So what they, um, what they found was that there are three types of beings. There's two J-rods, which were called P-52s. The P-52s were for 52,000 years in the future, and the P-45s were from 45,000 years in the future. And the P-45s were kind of split into two groups. There were the neutral P-45s, and there were the rogue P-45s. And the P-45s weren't interested in um, helping us. They were just here to harvest um, genetic materials, which they had lost over the course of tens of thousands of years of exposure. And their 7,000-year descendants, the P-52s, also returned because I guess they must have developed empathy in those 7,000 years. But they came back, and they were trying to tell us um, how, to, how we, our, our consciousness can affect our timeline. It can affect even not just the timeline, but also cosmic events. They were trying to tell us that the cosmic event, which is about to happen, can be affected by our collective consciousness. It was a revolutionary idea. 
Of course, back in those days, probably people were having a hard time swallowing that. Um, but they were essentially telling us that it's going to play out in two ways. And we'll get into it in a little bit more detail. But they were saying that it could end up with a timeline that prevails that's an organic timeline where mankind will begin to wake up and en masse and will interfere with the agenda that's being driven by those who'd like things to go their way. Um, and that we will change the trajectory of that course by raising our consciousness and then there's going to be some event and our change in consciousness will actually set in motion a positive version of how that event affects us. It'll create a, a virgin new timeline that no one's ever experienced before. So I found that interesting because we've also heard, we've heard about ancient civilizations like Atlantis or Lemuria or Mu, and you know they come and go. They always seem to end in some huge cataclysm or some destruction, some destructive event happens, society blows up. It's like a loop, another time loop. And it seems to me like I can't imagine an infinite, a universe with infinite possibilities would be limited to such a stupid loop. Eventually, it would have to crack that loop. So maybe here is the chance to actually break that loop. And the other timeline they were talking about that may prevail is, of course, the one that I'm describing as this transhumanist timeline. You know, and to keep control of the narratives, another interesting point that uh, factor that comes out in this document, we don't have really time to go through much of it, but there's a, a general, Nathan, Nathan Twining, who had a role in Majestic 12 to keep charge, uh, uh, keep a lid on the subject of dissemination of the reality of this interaction with, the, with these ETs, or which are future humans. And the way he would do that was by disseminating fake UFO narratives, fake alien narratives into the scene of a burgeoning young UFO scene that was starting in the 50s. And so you can imagine, like, so all those stories that you'd hear about with the two-headed alien babies and stuff that you're standing at the cashiers, you see the inquirer there, those are all kind of the result of the genius work of, you know, General Nathan Twining. Incidentally, Twining was the guy in charge of the U.S. bombing campaign over Germany. So it's all in the family. And he was also in charge of Project Grudge and Blue Book, which are also, these are all sort of dissemination or marketing versions of stories to keep the population in the dark about these things. So, that brings us to now. So that's kind of the history of how we got here and how that looking glass technology emerged. I guess I could add a couple sentences about that the J-Rods told us about where to find that technology. It comes from the Middle East. And in the Middle East, there are particular portals, and some of those portals are unnatural. They're artificial portals that were created by ETs. And when they found the blueprints, which is what they were looking for, which what they were told would be there, they built those blueprints, and that's how those machines came about. And I think they built them over multiple decades until they finally ended up in the 90s with the, the workable uh, model that, that I showed you there. So, along comes 2022, and it's been like 10 years since the last um, looking glass uh, whistleblowers had been out there talking about it, Dan Bursch and a few others, uh, Bill Wood, and for example, Bill Brockbrader. Um, but this suddenly appeared, this group calling themselves the Guardians of the Looking Glass. And I don't know how I found it, but it was a total fluke. I was on some Telegram channel scrolling through the 
which I normally don't do because it's just mayhem. But for some reason, I, I was looking for a particular story with respect to the Ukraine war, actually. Um, and there was something that popped up that said the Guardians of the Looking Glass. And I'm like, oh, I know about the Looking Glass. So I clicked on it and I landed on this YouTube page. At the time, there were only two videos and about 70 clicks. Nothing, nothing was going on. And I clicked on the first video and it said... We are the guardians of the looking glass. We're a group of former intelligence officers and military officials who have come together to release classified information about future events to come. Our knowledge comes from our work on the looking glass artifact, first discovered in Iraq, along with other discoveries in the 1990s. During this time, the artifact was activated by the U.S. military and connected to computers. We were able to see dozens of future timelines and the convergent, uh, convergence or singularities that led to two possible outcomes by the year 2030. In one outcome, humanity awakens and the current order is dismantled and an event occurs and instead of this, this uh, event being negative, it is a positive one. In the other outcome, the current structure remains in place. A nuclear war takes place along with many horrible events. Then the event occurs and instead of being a positive event, it's a negative one. So I immediately goosebumps, you know, like I, you know, thinking back on what I was just telling you about, what the J-Rods talked about decades earlier. Suddenly they come and they they're mirroring, they're mirroring this information, and that for me, just the whole looking glass thing and the year 2030. That number keeps coming up. You know, we know about Agenda 21, and actually 2030 is one of those key years of Agenda 21. So all these things made me sit up and take notice. Um, and, you know, I started looking around at what else was going on. And, you know, there's one person that now pretty much personifies the transhumanist agenda. His name is Yuval Harari. And he's Klaus Schwab's future prophet. And he has a saying on his website that summarizes their belief system. It says that history began when humans invented gods and will end when humans become gods. So, thinking back on the P-45s aligning with this deep state, you know, I mean, that's what they believe. They believe that they're god, gods, in a sense, you know, and in a different way, mind you, than, of course, we are, in a sense, all creator gods, but they're talking about materialistic values. So they're talking about another form of godhood. And they've even got a formula for it. I mean, he calls it uh, biological knowledge times compute power times data is the ability to hack humans. So this is the direction. This embodies in a formula the direction that they're taking us. They're calling it, ah, you know. Um, and they want to seduce us with their fantasies of total surrender to their digital technocracy. These are things you can find directly on the website of the World Economic Forum. You don't even have to look too far. You know, I know it says, I know that somewhere everything I do and think and dream of is recorded. Sounds like science fiction, right? Except it isn't. Just a couple weeks ago, the World Economic Forum had a meeting and in that meeting, there were a lot of, like here, we have these little workshops and things. Well, there's a workshop similar to here, there. And they presented something they called brain transparency. And this cartoon you see here, which I'm not going to play, but I'll just tell you what it was about, 
it essentially described technology which the woman who presented the video who came on on stage after they showed this said already exists and in that video it's talking about how the person sitting in front of their work desk their computer has essentially a communication using brain waves to their monitor and they're worried of course that their boss is going to pick up the thoughts they're having about one of their colleagues um, and you know and then there's a final scene in the cartoon where she comes back to work and there's a FBI and CIA agents and they're hauling one of her one of her fellow employees off in handcuffs because his brain waves indicated that he was colluding with others to defraud the company and it was all sold under the promise of it's going to cut down on crime of course because in this new world yeah it's really good and this new world um, it's all going to be sanitized no more crime Everyone's brain waves to be monitored, so they'll be able to preempt any crime. And the, the last scene shows them grabbing all the boxes because then they'll be able to use the brainwave data to see who's synchronized, who's in resonance with the criminal that they've already busted. Yeah, so, you know, they want to quantify us. Yeah, and his saying is, whoever owns the data, whoever controls the data, controls the future. Sounds a bit like that George Orwell quote from before, right? Not just the future of humanity, but the future of life itself. So, the crazy part is that all of this information and this history was already documented and described in the interactions between J-Rod and um, Dan Burrish and documented in something called the Doctrine of Convergent Timeline Paradox. So I want to take a little bit more of a dive into this doctrine, this DCTP as they call it, um, you know, because it goes into the specifics on these two factions that are warring it out over whether we have a positive or a negative experience relative to an impending cosmic event and whether there is even a cosmic event. Because all these things, like I was saying, you don't have much to go on if you just have one source. But if you begin to look at that information and find clues to whether that information could have some substance to it, some remarkable things began popping up. And, you know, this document um, basically emerged from the communications with Dan Burrish and uh, uh, the JRAC called Kiela. Um, and it starts off um, that it says, you know, the doctrine, uh, the DCTP is a doctrine of human racist probable competing paths observer rel uh, relative present and probable futures. And there's a section 40 that says it makes a clear distinction between the materialists who don't care to help humanity make the transition to a new timeline. It says the DCTP suggests the service to self expediency, logic camp, is uninterested in our new future timeline and prefers its fate just using us as a free resource for achieving their ends for an evolutionary uplift. And as such, could care less if we still hit the catastrophe that befell them. These are the Illuminati-linked rogues. And those who see the return of the future human J-Rods as a means to avert the looming cataclysm um, and state that our consciousness and level of spiritual service to others mentality as a direct influence of the, on the universe also said something in the next paragraph it's listed, it says the DCTP suggests that in contrast, the service to others compassion camp 
is very interested in optimizing how this reverse time emigration of future humans can also incidentally help to both, one, avert the, preced, uh, the precedent catastrophic pole shift future that happened for them, and two, provide a disclosure of the 2012, okay, back then they were just at the cusp of 2012, but, you know, since we don't really know what year we are truly, you could replace 2012 with 2030, makes just as much sense. Um, provide a disclosure of the 2012 event potentials in a way that can spiritually reinforce a more optimal evolutionary fate for present-era humans. And this human group is comprised of the non-rogue future humans who are working with the present-era faction known as the Magi. Then it goes on in paragraph 50. This is consistent with the deep state's desire to keep us in the dark. The rogue faction, P45s, are definitely not interested in helping us. The DCTP suggests that the rogue J-Rods are against disclosure of the situation in any manner that would promote present-day human species enlightenment, as this enlightenment provides human conscious souls freedom from their plans to continue to manipulate their ancestors after a fashion to be an expedient resource for their own upliftment ends. This document was written probably between 30 and 50 years ago. Even the formulation of the sentences is a kind of language that only really fits into our present time. Um, and, okay, the manipulation they're talking about extends into all forms, of course, including, you know, working with their ally Illuminati to suppress and control information flow, and the media, of course. Um, so what we also need to talk about, which I don't want to leave you guys on a negative note, so the last bit of this um, workshop, I'm going to talk about what we can do about it, and that's got to do with the positive timeline, because it's not just negative. We have opportunity here, and I'm going to show you what those opportunities are, and it's supported by what's going on around us in the physical world. Um, the J-Rods, you know, they told us that basically they were talking about these two primary timelines. Um, so this ultimate show showdown is ha happening. So um, let's look again at a couple of excerpts in the Doctrine of Conversion Timeline Paradox. It says in paragraph 4, the DCTP suggests that there is a future where a possibly pole shift related environmental catastrophe is averted and does not happen. And relative to this different timeline, the future that generated the J-Rods as we know them will never evolve from our own, and we have taken a new path. So, in a way, they would become extinct. And the very fact that the J-Rods are here means that the last time around, we obviously blew it, So, but we have another chance, which is the way the cosmos, I guess, works, this loop, which we want to get out of. And so, in this timeline, which also the Guardians saw, there is a probability of that happening. And so they talk about that as well. And uh, here's um, paragraph 64 of the DCTP. It says, The DCTP suggests that if the post-global pole shift environmental catastrophe does not occur and uh, that there are significant positive effects reaped from the natural stargate activation period. Remember, we're moving, you know, we're in space around us. We have on our planet and around in the immediate space outside of our planet, we have these energy vortexes, these portals. So those portals actually serve a purpose. They are energy um, conduent, conduent, uh, conducers. It says the benefits could be to alternatively produce a human consciousness 
libera liberating evolutionary leapfrog and a level of enlightenment among the masses that will produce a new set of future timeline trajectories that will compassionately steer the course of humanity into a virgin future of untold beneficial futures and heights and in fact fulfill the original evolutionary directive to evolve consciousness of humanity to its optimum potential as future creative agencies in the universe. So it's telling us that we have a chance to break the cycle. And the way I see it, it's like, you know, if we look at ourselves as connected to the universe, the universe wants to make this leap too. Why wouldn't it? It would want to experience everything we experience and more. And so these messages that we got from these J-Rods decades ago are trying to reinforce that idea. And now we're starting to, maybe the reason this came up now is because we're kind of at that last moment where we could make it happen. So it says the optimal future timeline is the timeline where all the problems were solved, not avoided. The irony is that the timelines where the huge problems are avoided and ignored or covered up are the timelines that run into serious problems. Creating something wonderful requires waking up and getting to work, not expecting someone or some spiritual agency to fix it for you, like the White Hats. For this reason, it is asserted that some disclosure of the hidden truth of our situation occur. As a species, if we can wake up to and recognize what is at stake, we may change the course of the future the DCTP fears will transpire. So it's really telling us that, I mean, the disclosure is what we're doing here. This is disclosure. The fact that we're getting together at Conscious Life Expo and so many people are exchanging ideas, and ironically, outside of us, these weird UFO sightings are taking place, it means that consciousness is reaching a place where these ideas are breaking in to our reality. And we just need to channel them in the direction that is for, for our positive future. Our brains are functional interferometers. That means that we are able to simultaneously transmit and receive scalar waves which act outside of the dimensions of space-time. So the universe, as one great whole, could actually communicate from us to with us from outside of space-time. And so it's interesting because there's actual evidence that right now, and this is from our, a friend of ours back in Europe. His name is Dr. Robert Sarkis Carpathians. He worked at the Max Planck Institute, and he revealed to us that right now we're being hit since uh, 2019 with an increase in what he calls maser or microwave laser beams, which are hitting Earth from the galactic center. And normally the you know, particles that are coming from the galactic center, they take billions of years to get here. But because these are um, sub, like these are outside of space-time, the connection to us is almost instantaneously. And there's one particular frequency which is being picked up in greater amounts, and that frequency is 150 megahertz. And that's an interesting frequency because that's the same frequency that our pineal gland also resonates with. And that's the same frequency that um, the actual 150 megahertz relates to our human DNA. And um, so, you know, it's interesting when you ask yourself how we ended up in this place, um, that we're lined up where we are right now. In fact, this here, this diagram, which I wish was bigger, but it basically shows that essentially we're in between these, um, you know, where there's a darker area, it means there's less interference. And the 
planet goes through these 10 to 13,000 year cycles where they go above the plane, the galactic plane, and below the galactic plane. And right now, we seem to have, by fluke or coincidence, landed in the sweet spot to be getting this information. And, you know, it's interesting. In paragraph 34 of the DCTP, it says, the DCTP suggests that the natural stargates that uh, may accommodate and support spiritual evolutionary changes and transformation for human consciousness will additionally produce material effects on the electromagnetic environment of the sun and our planet. So this is exactly what's going on right now by coincidence. You know, it just so happens that right now you're looking, this is a picture of the last three solar cycles, and right now we're in what's called a major solar minimum, which is affecting the magnetic pole, the magnetic north pole, and the way the, um, these rays, these cosmic rays are getting to us. When the sun's activity goes down, the heliosphere of the sun, which is the protective envelope which shields us from kinds of radiations coming from the center of the galaxy, also goes down, which means that more of that information or more of that energy is penetrating through to us than ever before. Our brain is affected by this. So it's like we're being involuntarily rewired, and maybe that's the hope for us, so we don't all have to meditate our way to, to enlightenment. Um, so, you know, um, basically it just seems to be that by sheer coincidence, everything in the cosmos seems to have been lined up like some magical orchestra where all the little players are put in position and then boom, you know? So it's interesting how we have also biology which coincides with using these information flows coming from the universe. One part of our biology is specifically designed to initiate profound changes in consciousness. And, uh, you know, since our bodies function essentially as, as on the basis of chemical reactions within our bodies, this particular gland triggers states of emotion and states of consciousness. And as I showed earlier, emotion creates reality. And that particular part of our brain is called the pineal gland. And the pineal gland is connected to what's called the Schumann frequencies, which are this magnetic belt, these magnetic bands around our planet. And when the... Um, the um, pineal gland is actually the first organ in the brain that is developed in the fetus at seven weeks. And it's almost as if that gets mature and it's like a, a cell phone logging into the cell tower, the cell tower being the Schumann frequencies. So it starts the download of information that eventually becomes us. And the, and the frequency at which the pineal gland resonates at is eight hertz, which is the same by coincidence as the Schumann frequencies. So simple math shows us that when two objects begin resonating together at the same frequency, they enter into coherence. And this is where the transfer of information comes. And this uh, frequency of 8 hertz is also considered magical by American scientist Dr. Andre Puharich, who says that this frequency has the unique ability, by coincidence, to penetrate through physical matter, meaning that it's not subjected to the constraints of space and time. So, could the pineal gland be the part of our brain that connects us to the fifth dimension, to this new dimension, this new world that we're talking about, to this scalar waves, carriers of information? 
It's also interesting to think of the, the fact that the pineal gland is called, what is it called? The third eye. I mean, even though it's not here, because people always say the third eye is here, it's actually right in the center of our brain. Another interesting fact about it is that it's sitting in a cavity of your brain that's got room around it, like a hollow space. And that's actually unusual. Usually every single, sec- every little mini- millimeter of our brains is filled, everything is exactly thought out. And you ask yourself, well, why would it leave space around the pineal gland? Will the pineal gland get bigger? And, and what is it with the calcification of the pineal gland? It's like our society, again, is doing everything it can to introduce things like calcium, which is a major blocker of the pineal gland's function. Fluoride as well. And our friend, German biophysicist Dieter Burst, describes it as follows. From ancient traditions, we can learn that this unique organ represents a connection between our earthly existence and our immortal core of being. From these traditions, we also learn that it offers us the possibility to perceive our world unadulterated and thus to recognize every kind of manipulation and lie. Ties right in again into what the doctrine of conversion timeline paradox, what the J-Rods were telling us. So, you know, it turns out that this activation corresponds to the connection between us as physical bodies and the information field stored within the Earth's magnetic field. And uh, I wanted to play, uh, show you a couple of interesting quotes that came from a document called The 33 Arcs of Soul Resonance. Here's another confirming um, source of information, another substantiation, let's just say. Um, and it says, um, of course, not everything is predetermined. There are chaotic factors that are left to free will. Some hyperdimensional forces, aware of the coming shift, are banking on the suppression of mass frequencies that lead humanity into a likely future where these forces harvest maximum energy and maintain control, whether in this density or the next. This can include everything from mass loss of life to genetic assimilation and spiritual enslavement. To some extent, this has already happened, and the world as we know it today is the end result of the recent revision of the timeline. And yet, time marches on and the final future is still open. This brings us to what we can do as individuals. The wiser sources say we should just be ourselves, remember who we are, and radiate the essence of our soul. In fact, we are all frequency anchors. And uh, it's interesting because the source of this document goes back to the 1990s. Again, we have seemingly a data dump that took place about 30 years ago. And it corresponds, all of it, like the same source of information was coming, the same kind of information was coming from various sources. And the idea that we are literally frequency anchors means that we anchor through our frequency of awareness, going back to the Hawkins scale at the very beginning. The more we nurture those frequencies of thought, translating into actions, we actually can, with a very small number of us, begin to anchor in this new earth, this new ideology, and give it a fertile ground to stay alive, at least to maintain its present here. And um, here's, a very, here's a few powerful words on the subject of solution, because we always talk about how are we going to solve these problems. And I think they're very, very powerful. They say the solution is not something anyone can give you. It is no solution that can happen due to the efforts of the few, and it is not a fix all for everyone. 
It is based solely on each and every individual deciding that he no longer desires to be ruled over and be a slave. The responsibility falls directly on each of us, and if enough of us come to this conclusion, any tyranny would end quickly. Enough people standing on their own two feet and saying no, regardless of the risk, is our only chance. You know, we can't wait for some leaders to come and solve the problem for us. Always going to lead us to the same pyramid structure. Someone seems to have a solution. We have to find it within ourselves to make the change on a very fundamental level. In order to gain real freedom, you have to want it badly enough to do whatever it takes to gain enough self-respect to understand the importance of your life. No one can give you freedom. You have to demand it unconditionally. You have to rebel within yourself and not rely on any other to give you something that they have no power to give. This is an individual struggle based on the cooperation of many who desire the same thing. It is not and cannot be accomplished by hiding in the crowd cowering in fear, expecting others to give you an impossible easy solution, and avoiding the pain of becoming free. You, each of you, has to decide for yourself. Yes. Yeah? So, you know, we create our timeline with our emotions, and, you know, you know that you have to know what you want and who you are. And the idea of us as being creator beings means that we really have the ability to create reality from within ourselves. But it has to start here. We can't have anybody come and save us. It's just going to lead us to the same savior complex over and over again. So we have to stop giving them our energy unconsciously, meaning that I hope some of the things that I showed you here tonight give you a view as to what to look out for to avoid the pitfalls. Um, you know, we have to begin to feel the powerful emotion of joy in our creative abilities and direct them toward our own vision of a timeline, of a positive timeline. Think about what that timeline might look like in, in the future. How would you see that? You know, what kind of things would you see in that timeline? And if you fix on those, we now know we're frequency anchors. So we anchor those things. We give it a chance. We give that plant a chance to grow and, and crowd out this transhumanist plan. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, how we fix it. And there's one more thing I want to give you to take home on your way. And um, it has to do with a presentation that a woman that we know called Julia Conforto gave a few years back in Munich. She blew the audience away. She presented new scientific data and imaging technology that enabled the researchers to peer into the extreme ultraviolet spectrum. And when they did, they captured a new image of Earth never seen before. And what they discovered was pretty amazing. That's what it is. What you see in the black circle in the middle is the actual Earth in the optical frequencies. And what they've captured in this appears to be some kind of a new Earth forming that's four to five times the size of Earth and seems to be free from the influence of gravity and time. So, what do you think, folks? Could this be the new timeline, the new Earth uh, that we're looking for and the ultimate? Yeah? Well, thank you very much for...